Hi, everybody. Yes, it's Lizzie. I'm allowing you guys to all call me Lizzie from now on. All right. Every single successful person you see out there, I mean, every single one, they're all different. We've learned that from doing 120 plus episodes of Everyone Talks to Liz here. But these different traits make them winners, right? But they all, I've noticed, have one thing in common. They hang on for dear life, even when they get stuck in a serious crunch. So I'm not really talking about inherited wealth here, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about self-made stars who started at the very bottom. Say, for example, I don't know, a guy who goes from sweating it out, cleaning grimy workout machines, to then becoming a personal trainer, to then founding a hugely successful, gigantic gym franchise. That sounds a lot like a guy named Ben Midgley, who through blood and a lot of sweat did exactly that, started by cleaning workout machines. But how did he do that? How did he go from that to founding Crunch? Let's ask him. Ben, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, thanks, Liz. Thank you for having me so much. Thank you for that very generous introduction. Well, Crunch Fitness, it's the good, it's the cool, right? I mean, we've heard about this for years. My dad was a member back in the day on Sunset Boulevard. You know what? We, we really have to we really have to just focus really quickly at the moment on the news that's developed in the past couple of days about this mask mandate being reinstated in LA. Um, do you foresee that happening across the United States? And, and what then? You guys have already made it through the fire, right? Yeah, well, I, I would guess being that it's in the news so much, right? Uh, it's going to happen more frequently. I mean, I, it, I don't think it's going to happen in New York, but you might see it in San Francisco. You might see it in Chicago. You're going to see it maybe Atlanta. I don't know. Other larger metropolitan areas, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back. Uh, so that that's that's a negative from a business standpoint. I guess from a positive standpoint, what I've been hearing on the news, and you probably know more than I do, from the, the standpoint of hospitalizations and deaths, it hasn't really been a dramatic increase in that, which is very fortunate. So maybe that will tamp down some of the drive to push back on that. But Look, if the mass mandates come back, there's going to be a lot of businesses. Obviously, they're going to have concerns. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more pushback on uh, political officials. So we'll, we'll see where it happens. Obviously, you want to do what's the safest and best thing for for people, right? Um, that's the top priority, especially for us. We're in health and fitness, but uh, hopefully it doesn't come back in force. Then reach back to, well, I call it January because I noticed in January what was going on in China but reach back to the moment you first began to realize something's going down and what it was like when you guys, along with the rest of the entire industry in the world, were hit smack in the forehead with the with the lockdowns. What was oh, that? I remember, yeah, I remember it exactly. It's one of those moments, right? Like you said, that people know exactly where they were when it happened. We were actually having a franchise advisory committee meeting on the 12th of March down in Jacksonville, Florida. And we had all a lot of our top franchisees in a room. We were just started talking about, you know, what if someone with COVID comes into your club? Because that hasn't happened yet. There's just been a lot of talk. And sure enough, while we're meeting, one of the franchisees got a call. Somebody with COVID came into the club. They just called us and told us. So we immediately stopped everything on the agenda and you went into the planning around this COVID matrix, which uh, including the franchisees, company executives, and we, we came up with this matrix. Well, what if someone 
is infected? What if you have first level exposure, second level exposure? What if it's a member? How do you communicate? What do you do with employees? So on and so forth. So that changed the whole agenda. And then that night we spent the entire evening, probably till one or two in the morning. Uh, obviously we had a drink, uh, but working with the different department, <laughs> yeah. with the different departments trying to get information out to all the franchisees because they don't know what to do at this point. We had to get marketing materials, communication with members. You had to get, uh, you know, uh, information out. Uh, if someone comes into your club with COVID, how do you handle that? It was all about cleaning supplies too. This was during the mad rush for hand sanitizers and wipes and anything you get your hands on. So we're trying to source that out. And then we got all that done and it was out first thing Saturday morning. And then Monday morning, the game changed again because everything started to shut down. So then you go right back into this whole different level of planning how to shut down hundreds of businesses, communicate with millions of members, more shutdowns the next day, all the billing, all the, you know, all the confusion. And uh, no one's had a playbook like that before. We have disaster planning, right? It was an earthquake or natural disaster or something else happens in a club. But uh, so you have to apply what you could from that learning or those plannings to this situation. And uh, look, we did the best we could and uh, Luckily, we came out of the other end, I think, as strong as we could have for a fitness company, but it was tricky. Your whole climb has been a, a sort of facing all different kinds of challenges, none, I am sure, as serious as this. But I do want to rewind the videotape or, or Super 8 film going back that far to the beginning. You and your love of fitness and where it all started. Well, uh, I'll tell you, and you know, sometimes it's tough to talk about yourself a little bit. From oh, go on. I'm forcing you. But uh, I was, well, when I was in high school, I went off to take a year out of, a year off after high school. So I went to work at a ski resort and I was, I was a teenager that maybe made some of the wrong decisions. I was more focused on having fun than other things. So uh, I remember the night I was sitting in, uh, in Vermont at the ski resort I worked at and I looked in the mirror and I had hair down past my shoulders and I was about 160 pounds. I even smoked cigarettes back then, you know, um, among other things. I don't mind saying that. Uh, and, and then, but I said, you got to do something with yourself. You got to, you got to change your life. So I went out and just started running and running and running up and down mountains, whether it was snow or ice or rain or whatever. And back in the day, people probably don't remember. You remember those big CD players, those portable CD players? You'd stick it on the side. Walkman. Yeah, big CDs. So you had to bring three, four different CDs if you only like one song for the CD. So you'd be running along and you had to change the CD out. So anyways, <laughs> I just tried to get in shape and then led me to say, hey, well, what can I do for, for business? How can I get a job doing this? So then I just started to learn about the industry and eventually I decided to go to college, which I never graduated from too. I never made it out of college. And I went out to Santa Barbara, California, and I got a a membership in exchange for cleaning machines in a gym just so I could be around it and started to meet a lot of members and get an appreciation for it from really the ground up. And then from there, I worked in front desk. I became a personal trainer. I started to manage a fitness department and went through every level uh, that you could in health clubs from single unit operations to multiple unit operations. And I got recruited years later after winning salesperson of the year, which was an industry award uh, for selling memberships sold more than anybody else in the country. This is 1996. Got recruited um, to go to 24 Hour Fitness, which was the biggest health club company in the world at that time. And um, went out there with all sorts of aspirations and, you know, almost got swallowed up by the company. And then some of the folks that I still work with now, uh, Jim Rowley, who's an industry giant, and Mark Mastroff, 
you know, I was going to leave the company. And they said, hey, you can't turn a battleship, and, you know, on a dime. You, you, things have to happen slowly. So, you know, you're here to help be part of the change and bring about a different sales approach and things like that. And obviously that company was way ahead of my speed, but I learned a lot from them along the way. And then spent about 10 years there and got recruited to become the president of Planet Fitness, which is our number one competitor now. Uh, spent a few years there. Uh, didn't quite love the culture. A fantastic company. We did a lot of good there. So I, I left there and then took about a year off and then uh, got recruited to come back in here with Mark and Jim and another close friend of ours, Craig Pepin and Otto, I worked with for years and uh, said, hey, Crunch is a great brand. Uh, it's been around for a while. Can you start a franchise company with that? So we we, of course, said we can, and then we went in and tried to find a space to put that, that business model in, and we went into what's called high-value, low-price, which is selling a really well-equipped club for membership pricing of $10 and $20. We're up to about $30 now. And, um, you know, our sales pitch in the beginning was, hey, Crunch just came out of bankruptcy. We don't have any clubs, uh, and we don't have anything really to show you about the success of what you may do, but trust us, give us a shot, and let's see if it works. So. Luckily, some people jumped on board and then, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, we've got 1,300 franchises sold. It's 700 plus billion dollar business. We're opening about 50 stores a year now. Hopefully get back up to 100, 150 and then um, hopefully have a great, uh, great exit at some point. We've got a wonderful partner in TPG Growth, so it's been a great ride. You know, very fortunate along the way to have some really intelligent people that helped me out and gave me a chance. And uh, here we are. Ben, when we talk about being in a tight spot, as you grow something, I am sure you had to talk more than a couple of franchise owners off the ledge during the pandemic because people were so scared. What did you draw upon to get through that and help them? And and quite frankly, I'm sure help yourself through these difficult times. Well, one thing we have always done well as a company is um, foster relationships with the franchisees. And that, that's been my personal focus as long as I've been in business. Like I said, I didn't have much of a formal education, but I do know if you treat people right and you uh, you know are on a genuine level with people who you work with and work for and work underneath you, then things tend to work a little bit more forgiveness either way. Sometimes you're right, sometimes they're right there's disagreements, you'll end up finding out a solution that ideally works for both parties. And that's always sort of been our philosophy. So we have a very, very open relationship with our franchisees. Uh, we have a philosophy called stay small to grow large. So we try to have less franchisees that own more franchises. So we're able to talk to everyone in the network pretty quickly if we have to. So I think because of those two things, it was okay not to have every single answer for the franchisees as something like this came along. So we brought information out as fast as possible. We got their input and then we kind of distilled that, got the right message. You have to lead from the front in this, obviously, right? Because you can't go poll everybody and see what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So we had to lead from the front, but then make sure once we put those initiatives out on the ground, they work. Because the franchisees will give you feedback. Well, this doesn't exactly work the way this plan says. Okay, well, let's change that. And let's get this fixed up and get something new out to people. So communication worked really, really well. And then the franchisees started sharing a tremendous amount of information with each other, which is you know something of any franchisor should really encourage, right? Because the strength of your network is the strength of the brand. And uh, that worked out really well. So luckily, you know, we were doing 80% of the things right, I'd say. But at the time, you don't know how many things you're doing right or as well as somebody else or not as good as somebody else. And as we look back, you know, fortunately, we were you know more ahead of the curve than a lot of our competitors. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you were way back in, was it the 90s where you were cleaning machines? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're cleaning machines, you're, you're mopping and wiping up sweat. What kept you going through that time? Actually, I was enjoying that. I was learning how to, you know, fix the machines, lift up the treadmills, work on the, the, the circuit boards or whatever it is. Um, I really spent a lot of time talking to members, you know, it's uh, members in the club. A health club is a community done right. Not a lot of operators do it right. Um, Starbucks, Howard Schultz always used to say Starbucks is the third place. I just always in my heart, the health club's the third place, right? You have home, you have work, and you have the health club. Because you're there for an hour and a half or two hours, you get to meet a lot of people in a coffee shop, not to knock Starbucks, I love them, but you're in and out, right? And you don't usually establish a deep, meaningful relationship with a barista, but you can do that in a health club. And if it's run right, you know, that operator is making sure everybody's introduced to everybody else and everybody knows their name and it's it's a really good environment. So I always enjoyed just being in there, cleaning things and talking to people. Everybody was always thankful that they were cleaning the equipment and, you know, you kind of just felt like you're at home there, right? So you don't make a lot of money cleaning machines, right? That's for sure. So over time I thought, well, hey, what else can I do here? and maybe make a little bit more money and then so on and so forth. And it led me into sales and then selling just became a, a function of being real with people. This point is, is really important to make. People want instant gratification. They want instant success or they get upset that they're still toiling. I always tell people, I got my first private office in a newsroom 19 years into my career, 19 mm-hmm. years. It took that long. I was always in a cubicle because that's what they did in most networks and most uh, local news stations as I worked my way up. You know, you leave home, you start at the bottom. My first job was as an intern delivering newspapers and basically, you know, running teleprompter. There are people who don't want to do that because they're impatient. I think impatience is a good driver, but how important is it and why is it important to start at the bottom, what adds to your ability to really achieve success by having started where you did? Well, I think for people who have been in a similar situation, it really allows you, well, first of all, it creates a great deal of respect for every aspect of the business along the way. Indeed, perfect, exactly. And then separately, you understand how it all works, right? And uh, if you go, if you do that, I guess if you were to change companies, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna sit down with everybody you possibly can and learn. 
right? Because you don't have that intimate experience with that particular business, but you know how all the pieces work, how one affects the other and how integral their interaction is to the success of the business. So I think it gives you a tremendous respect for the business and an intimate knowledge that you just can't get from starting at a higher level. Um, and look, the reality is either you educate, you, know, you enter the workforce from some high pedigree level, right? Uh, maybe more of a lateral position or a master's degree or something like that. And then you start at a higher level. That just wasn't available for me, whether it was my lack of motivation for schooling or what it was. Uh, but luckily I found an industry that I loved, which is also a key point for people with whatever you're doing. If you really enjoy what you're doing, obviously you're going to you're going to work harder at it. And then, um, you know, just something in my back of my mind, I said, look, you, you have to find a way to monetize this and create a lot of value with it. And uh, was a little bit stubborn from the standpoint that I wanted to do it in the manner that I could still feel good about myself. Sometimes if you're in sales, you can come across as somebody who's just trying to get people to do something right to benefit you. But that's never worked for me. If you're always a more genuine, we actually wrote a book with my dad years ago. It's called Golden Circle Secrets. It was uh, the number one sales management book on Amazon, but this was like 18 years ago now or something like that. So not very popular now, but it was all about taking customer values, bringing customer values up through the business, and then using those values to develop the systems of the business that go back to the customer facing point, right? So that's sort of been the philosophy that I've used personally. And being in the fitness industry has allowed me to sort of stay true to myself in the way I wanna do business. And I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of great people that have supported me in that and I've learned from and, uh, you know, now I'm sort of on the, the other end of that, right? You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, a lot of the people that we have that we profile here started at the dregs at the very bottom, but there is so much cred in doing that. No one can ever pull the wool over your eyes because you were there. You've done it. And and people will say, well, I uh, the teleprompter, da, da, da. no, 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 no. I know what happened because I've done that job. And exactly. I'll never forget Andre DeShields, who's a famous Broadway actor, won his first Tony Award at age 75 or something, 72 for Hadestown. He, he literally just won it a year or two ago. And he said, people will say it took me a really long time. But guess what? The best way to get where you want to go is slowly. And then he gave this quote, and I'm not, I've never read the Bible. I'm just not into that. I just haven't done it. I mean, I should. But he said that God wants you to walk. The devil wants you to take a limo. But if you walk it, you get to know everything and you know the roads and you know the streets. Sure. And I want people to really understand that, that it is super important to take your time and don't get impatient. It's almost like you're living proof of that. Well, what's interesting, if you look, and that's a great story. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes if people start this way, they feel like maybe they sort of just, you know, luckily fell into something and stumbled upon it, right? Because you didn't do it the traditional way. But if you, if you really look deeper than that, uh, to your point, you need to have an appreciation for what you've been put through because it is what got you where you are regardless of whatever the path was, right? You do now know so much more about the business than somebody who hasn't been through that knows. And um, look, I hope people don't shy away from that path. And I hope opportunities aren't closed for people uh, in other, you know, large companies or what have you that take that route because uh, it really does, you know, create a, a well-rounded person that has a good perspective of all aspects of the business. 
What's next for you, Ben? Well, we have a fantastic sponsor, uh, TVG Growth. Uh, you know, we, uh, we sold the company to them uh, along with our previous partner, Angela Gordon, in 2019. Um, and then, you know, some of us in management reinvested in the company. So we're, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, they're a tremendously sophisticated group that's honestly also very well-grounded and in balance. Very good genuine people. And you don't always find that in private equity. Uh, no, but you know what? <laughs> I've found lately that they've figured out, not just TPT, but a bunch of others have really realized you buy a good brand and you don't shut it down or squeeze every dollar out of it. It's almost like how Buffett does it. You know, Warren Buffett buys companies and keeps the people who founded the company or the ones who've been leading it. He said, I don't know how to lead a jewelry store. I want to buy one, but I want to keep the people who love it, the owners at the top. They were smart enough to understand that from you. And that's a good, that's a good thumbs up for at least that aspect of private equity that you've had to engage with. Yeah, they're great. And like I said, it's certainly not just me and the company. Right. There's some some wonderful folks above me and below me that, that are partners in the business, uh, but they're a, gr- they're a great company. Um, I don't think anybody's here rushing to do a SPAC or, you know, just jump into something while it's hot and see what can happen. They're a little bit more long term focused. They want to do what's right for the business. What's so ultimately going to build some staying staying value power, let's say. Yeah. And I think everyone uh, in management and leadership is, is on the same who has the same philosophy, right? Because that's how you build a, a lasting, strong company. And that's what we want to do. Crunch has already been around for 30 years. We want to be here for 30 more. And I really think it's going to become a, a living room name when it comes to fitness. I, everybody I know knows it. As we finish up and talk to our listeners, what is the one thing that you advise that they try and engender in themselves to really reach the pinnacle of success in their field? Well, yeah, we've got it painted on the on the wall as you walk down into our basement so our kids can see it every day. And look, hundreds, thousands of families do it. It says never give up right there. We put our name. We said Midgley's never give up so the kids see it every time they walk downstairs because we make them work out, right? We have a gym in the basement so they have to work out uh, whether they like it or not. But uh, it's it sounds cliche nowadays, but you're going to have great days. You're going to feel on top of the world. You're going to feel like you can't be knocked off for whatever reason. You're going to have horrible, horrible days. But it always gets better. It always does, as long as you just keep going. But, you know, this, and don't let somebody tell you you can't, right? I mean, there's, there's far more successful people than me that have said the same thing. But it's true. It's just completely true. So don't give up. Amen. Midgley's never give up. I want all of our listeners <laughs> to never give up, okay? Promise me that, you guys. Ben, it's great to have you. Good luck with Crunch. And uh, we hope all your franchisees hang in there. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you for your time. Great story. And, and, and you guys know, these are the stories that will help you understand what it takes, right? To find your passion and then go for it and never say die. And it is not supposed to be easy. Okay. As my mother always says, darling, you cried for a year. You know, my first job in Columbus, Ohio, I was crying all the time. Okay, because baby princess has to cry all the time, but you, you fight through it. Blood, sweat, tears. Thank you so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. And I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Claim and Countdown.